You're listening to the Teaching Matters podcast, brought to you by the University of Edinburgh and part of the Teaching Matters blog. Teaching Matters brings together students and staff in conversation, debate, and celebration of learning and teaching in higher education. Feel free to share your comments with us, either directly on the blog or email us at teachingmatters at ed.ac.uk. You can listen and subscribe to the Teaching Matters podcast at Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and music is provided by Hook Sounds. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Val McCune from the IED. I'm here today with Jan MacArthur, an ex-colleague of mine who's now at the University of Lancaster, and we're going to be having a chat about assessment and social justice, particularly in the context of this strange hybrid world that we're in at the moment. But Jan, do you want to tell us a bit more about your current role and work, just to give us a bit of background? Okay, so I'm a senior lecturer in education and social justice in the Department of Educational Research, though most of my work is on higher education. Um, I teach on two doctoral programs and I supervise a wide range of PhD students. I'm also currently involved in a large ESRC Office for Students funded project with the Centre for Global Higher Education. And this is a comparative and longitudinal study looking at knowledge, curriculum and student agency among STEM students in three countries. And in this, I'm applying some of the ideas from my book on assessment for social justice, aiming to demonstrate that even in STEM subjects, um, social justice should be at the forefront of how we engage with knowledge and how we assess. Now that's really helpful because I think sometimes thinking through the applications to STEM is one of the things that we find a bit trickier here at Edinburgh. It can be quite obvious in some courses, but not so much so in others. What stage is that big project at? Uh, we're now in our fourth year um, and we're fortunate enough we've now got transition funding. So we've followed um, a, a certain number of students in each country through three or four years of their study, wherever they went, uh, we followed them. And now the really exciting bit, uh, which I've always wanted to do, we've got the money to follow them out into work and society. Oh, fantastic. That's so important and it's so rare. Yeah, yeah. So the three countries are the UK, um, the USA and South Africa. That just sounds like such an interesting study. I'm going to go and look up all the, the bits about the project after this though. Sounds great. So we're going to dig a bit more into assessment and social justice. And I was wondering if we could kind of start with the basics. So maybe could you tell us a bit about some of the ways that you connect assessment and social justice? Because I guess that's not glaringly obvious for everybody. No, um, I don't think it is. And where I start from is the idea that we've tended, when we think about assessment, to think in terms of fairness. It's just if it's fair. And what do we mean by fair? We mean due process. And it's a very procedural view of social justice that I think is quite dominant in society. Justice is treating everyone the same. Justice is having a system to fix a problem. It's quite a technocratic idea of justice. So in assessment, for example, everyone should sit the same three-hour exam. How do we make feedback fairer? Well, let's make everyone do feedback in four weeks. Let's make everyone write only 450 words of feedback. That will be a system and that will make it fair. 
Whereas my work is very much based in critical theory, which is a very different approach to social justice. It has quite some similarities with the capabilities approach of Sen and Nussbaum, which people might be familiar with. But it's really based on particularly the work of Axel Honneth, uh, the idea that social justice at its core is about how we recognise each other as intrinsic human beings of worth and that we build our sense of self through our interactions with others. So what I do is I take what, what for some people seem quite philosophical ideas and say, but these relate to all parts of life. These relate to all parts of higher education. And importantly, they really relate to assessment. And my phrase, assessment for social justice, is a play on words, obviously, of assessment for learning. Because if we believe, and the research is, is compelling, that assessment shapes how and what students learn, then if our ambition is greater social justice, then we're really overlooking something amazingly central and important if we don't look at how we are assessing. Because assessment is about how we create both the relationship to knowledge with our students, but also the dispositions through which they will go on and apply that knowledge in society. But the, the final point I'd say in terms of linking assessment and social justice is I think it has to be from multiple perspectives because it's about justice in terms of the students, their ability to fulfill themselves as flourishing human beings, making a positive social contribution. It's about society and the sorts of graduates that can build and improve society. And it's about staff, because quite frankly, the way in which we assess at the moment in higher education is often very, very unjust that staff, particularly on large undergraduate courses, do it under immense pressure, unrealistic timeframes. They're up with piles of scripts at 3am in the morning. They're workloaded in ridiculous ways, such as 10,000 word dissertation is workloaded at one hour. Now, that's just awful. And it's disrespectful to the staff and to the students. So there's a, I suppose there's a whole network of things that I think we need to think about differently. I think a lot of that would be music to the ears of many of my colleagues. And it, it reminds us about some of the debates we had about hybrid learning as well. So when we first started talking about hybrid learning, some colleagues were saying, but we can't give all the students the same because some of them can't come to the classroom to have the hybrid part of, of hybrid learning. And I was trying to ask people to think about maybe equity rather than equality. So saying that we can't give students all the same for sure in this situation, but can we give them all good opportunities to flourish? I think I borrowed flourish from probably some of the, the same literature um, that you were just talking about there. I think it's really interesting too in the hybrid and online um, sector because this idea that students should have the same and students should act the same is incredibly pervasive in society. As I said, you know, that's what fairness is seen to mean. Whereas what we should do is go back to our sense of what our purpose is. What is the purpose of an online forum or a hybrid module or a particular piece of assessment? So I have a lot of 
people I hear get terribly worried about the students who don't join in in online discussions. But there's a wonderful article by someone called Chanak called Right to Reticence. And it's about the quiet Chinese student and that they're not being passive. They just have an, their own way of learning and they have every right to not be always jumping into the discussion, that there are different approaches to learning and there are different students and students have different needs and different backgrounds. And we, we just can't do a one size fits all, just as we can't say to students, everyone has to turn on their camera. Some student for some students, that's an incredibly imposing um, and, and unjust act because they're not living in these beautiful houses with these large studies, with these book lined backgrounds that we've all got to see now on television in colleagues meetings saying, wow, look at that room. That's where they work. Not everyone has that. So we simply have to be prepared to say we think about what the essential purpose is and then we allow that to play out in different ways to suit different circumstances. I agree, absolutely. I was wondering, could we imagine what that might mean in practice in some context? So I suspect at this point, a lot of colleagues will be nodding in agreement with these underlying ideas, but wondering what it might mean for them to create a socially just assessment. I don't know if you have any maybe examples that you're aware of from your research or things you've thought of. Okay, well, um, it, in in the book I've written on this, I uh, locate five themes. They're actually in Shatsky's social practice terms, general understandings, but that, that doesn't really matter. They're in lay layperson's terms, they're themes. Um, and these aren't meant to be an exclusive list, but I think they're a starting point for what socially just assessment looks like. So the first one is trust that we have trusting pedagogical relationships. Assessment is a pedagogical relationship. So if you institutionalize distrust as something like Turnitin, that's a real problem as well as a, a, a distortion of resources. The second is honesty. Are we honest with students about the conditions under which we assess? Those 3 a.m. pile of scripts, that one hour workload, for a whole dissertation they've worked on? Are we honest with them about marking and how accurate it could be? So we have percentage scales that make it look like marking is wonderfully precise, but all the research evidence shows it's not. You really can't be. So let's not pretend to students it is. Then my third one is responsibility. Students should be in a position to understand the rules under which they're assessed. And so in that way, have an informed sense. It's like citizenship, knowing their rights. The fourth one is forgiveness, which might sound slightly strange to some people. But I actually wrote about this first in the fest shift for our colleague, Di Hounsel. I remember that. Yeah, that assessment, we have to have things that allow students to make mistakes and not to punish them for it. And we should reward progress over time because we know from all the learning theory that learning is about making mistakes. It should be about taking chances. It should be about having a relationship with knowledge that says, I don't understand that yet, but that's okay. 
I'm going to come at it from another point. And then the final of my five points is called responsiveness. And this is saying that assessment has to be responsive to the society in which it's based. So it and that's not the same as saying to the workplace. It's about responsive to society. Yes. So to social issues, to the ethical implications of the application of technical knowledge. Oh, I mean, again, music to my ears. I've been talking to colleagues quite a bit about how we can apply the sustainable development goals in more of our learning and teaching work because university has a commitment to that. And that's exactly that. What does this mean for society and our graduates in society? It's so important. Yeah. And if I could, could just give a small example. So in the project I mentioned earlier, um, where one of the disciplines we're looking at is chemical engineering. Now, it, when you look at chemical engineering curricula, they will have a strong emphasis on um, pollution, environmental issues and things like that. But there's a way to do that where you're taking a very procedural approach. You're saying, will this proposed plant I want to build um, meet all the government regulations. But there's a different approach that says, will this plant I want to build be helpful to the community in which it's located? Will it be exploitative in the way it treats the communities from whom it accesses resources? So there's a whole bigger way of thinking about environmental responsibility than just thinking about meeting you know, statutory guidelines. Absolutely. I think that's one of the, the key things for me as well when we talk with students about things like research ethics. There's a a way to do the procedures correctly in terms of the committee and there's a way to be an ethical researcher and the latter is a much expanded idea, I think. Yeah. When you and I were preparing for this um, chat earlier, I think we were talking a bit about it being also around student and staff dispositions for social justice. Did I get that right? Um, yes. So I think that relates to the idea of the ethical application of knowledge. Um, so I'm very influenced by, um, by the work of, of my colleague Paul Ashman you know, who talks about the educational function of knowledge, that it's about engagement with structured bodies of knowledge, and that's what distinguishes higher education. But for me, that engagement has to always have an ethical dimension. And so it is, I think, about how assessment nurtures that ethical dimension. So that even in subjects where people traditionally think, oh, well, they're not subjects for social justice. Social justice is what you do with sociology students. Yeah. Maybe the politics students, perhaps English literature, but you don't do it with the physicists or the chemists. And, of course, that's just wrong, and it's wrong on a number of levels. And I'll just I'll come back to my point, but I'll tell you something very funny. When we began to do this research project, we went to chemistry and chemical engineering departments and we said, we want to research you. Would you take part? And they said, why? And he said, well, we're really interested because you're what Biglin has classified as non-life disciplines. And they threw up their arms. And <laughs> said, what do you mean non-life? 
we're at the centre of human life. So, you know, even these disciplines own self-image, they may not phrase it in the words of social justice, but they do phrase it in terms about being central to human life. And that really is all social justice is. Um, so it's about that sense of them from their first engagement with knowledge, creating a disposition where they have a sense of the responsibility of how that is applied and how it affects other people. Um, and I suppose the disposition of staff is, is gets back to those things like trust and honesty about how do we understand our pedagogical relationship with students and how do we see that in an assessment context and even where of course it's legitimate to have um, assessment for certification we we want our doctors to have gone through certain rigorous procedures but the idea that you have to or you should disarticulate that from social concerns is I think really false and we need to rethink that at the basics absolutely I think sometimes we get a bit also too hung up on reliability in some of these contexts at the expense of validity in the social sense. So does everybody deal with this question the same way over time? Do these four questions perform in the same way over time instead of does this measure the dispositions, capabilities, ways of engaging with the world that we care about for these professionals? The, both of these things matter, but I think we get stuck on the reliability way too much and lose the validity sometimes. Yeah, and, and it's very much a case of procedure over purpose. You know, the reliability is just the procedure, but what matters is why you're doing it in the first place. What are you aiming to achieve? Um, and for me, one of the exciting things I find being a higher education researcher is taking these grand ideas about the purpose of the university and seeing how they translate into the everyday practices of teaching, learning and assessment. Because those two, there should be a, a rod of steel that connects the two of them. They're not different areas of research. Each one is vital to the realisation of the other. Absolutely. I mean, just taking that line in the context of our, our current hybrid setting, how do you think some of this plays out, particularly when we're doing more online learning? So we, we mentioned Turnitin already, but there's a, a, I suspect these themes come up in particular ways in relation to online contexts that are maybe a bit different to some of the face-to-face. -face. Yeah, I think so. I think because um, we know, again, from research and from experience, the, the use of online or hybrid settings should always be educationally driven, not technologically driven. Of course, you know, over this year, it's been global pandemic driven. But <laughs> putting that aside, you then, how you respond to that is you go back to what the educational purpose is and not what the technological capacity is, not what some giant firm is saying, we could sell you this and it will solve your problems. But I think one of the problems with once you do get into the technological realm of an online or hybrid setting, is that it can lend itself to quite an instrumental approach. It can lend itself to this idea that there's a quick fix, 
that, you know, we've got this tech, we should use it, rather than thinking about does it genuinely support student learning? And I think this becomes amplified in the assessment um, when thinking about assessment because we already have such a procedural approach to assessment, when that then intersects with an instrumental approach to technology, it creates something very unhealthy. And I think we have seen many examples of technology being used to fix problems of assessment, but these are at best normally band-aids um, over a wound rather than cures or even worse, they do cause more harm. So if I go back to Turnitin, there's a second example I'll come to in a moment, but Turnitin for me is a classic example of how have we let this for-profit company take a grip on the core mechanisms of assessment, given that assessment underlines the entire integrity of what we do as universities. If Turnitin just pulled itself out, we'd be in a crisis. But more than that, as I said earlier, it's an institutionalised form of distrust, but it also taking resources away from where they're really needed So it, because it, it sells itself as a technological quick fix. But what we really need for students is more support for academic writing. The number of students who deliberately cheat may or may not be increasing, but for many students, academic writing is difficult and Turnitin sells itself as having an educational role. Students can learn academic writing through it, but there are way better ways of learning academic writing. And if we took the millions that have gone into Turnitin and made them all into student learning, student writing advisors, that for me would be just a much better solution. It could still be online. It's not the technology. It's the idea of technology as a quick fix. Mm. Um, that's instrumental and which has no respect for the idea that these are human relationships at play. I agree very much. I mean, I've been involved in lots of wonderful online learning, but wonderful online learning isn't quick or cheap or easy. And it's all about relationships, just as face-to-face -face learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This episode of the Teaching Matters podcast was produced by Joe Arten with additional contributions by Josephine Foucher and Sarah Thomas. Teaching Matters is a production of the University of Edinburgh.